Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to the Out of Left Field Podcast, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Here in Starkville, we're in the left field lofts, high atop duty double field. Beautiful day here on campus, and the opening show of Out of Left Field. Hey, Charlie, how you doing, man? Bart, I'm doing well. Well, the first thing, first and foremost, is why we decided to do this podcast is you know, base, baseball guys, you know, by trade, we're 365 baseball guys. I'm Bart Gregory. He's Charlie Winfield, and we're lucky enough to be able to broadcast Mississippi State baseball with the SEC Network Plus and um, have been Mississippi State baseball fans for a long time now. And we've talked about doing this for years upon years, and now we're finally decided to do it. Yeah, it's obviously a passion of mine going back to a very young age. I think back to the, all the times, even as a kid, when regionals would come to town being just dropped off, spending basically the whole week watching not only Mississippi State, but all the teams that would come through, seeing Barry Larkin and Frank Thomas and Bo Jackson. And, boy, we can go on and on about all the guys from other schools that have come through and a lot of just, you know, guys who were such a part of our childhoods uh, here growing up in Starkville and in the surrounding area. And, you know, the, one of the things when we broadcast ball games that we've started doing last year is sometimes during ball games, non-conference games, we would start thinking about, okay, let's – to kill some time between the fourth and the sixth inning because everybody in the fourth and the sixth inning gets kind of tired, is, okay, who's the best left-handed pitcher you've ever seen at Mississippi State? And so that kind of just took on a life of itself. And, and you guys tweeted us and texted us and said, hey, here's who I think. And to be honest with you, Charlie, it kind of opened my eyes up to an era of Mississippi State baseball that I really didn't know a whole lot about. I found a couple of things. Number one, I think we all probably have some biases in terms of when we think about the great Mississippi State teams and the great Mississippi State players, and they come in a couple of ways. One is we have a little bit of a bias of recency. We think about the guys who just play. Like, it's hard to imagine anybody being a more special center fielder than Jake Mangum unless you grew up watching Jody Hurst, unless you grew up watching Mike Kelly or Dan Van Cleve. And so you have all those people that to some degree get pushed aside in your memories because of the new guys. The other bias, the more I think about it, too, and the more we've kind of talked about it, is the bias that I call the 12-year-old bias. When you are 11, 12, 13 years old and you're sitting here at this field, so many of these players just take on another dimension. They're, they're more than they're, – they're almost immortal to you. And you start to think about the guys like when I was growing up, the, the Mark Gillespies and the Dave Klipsteins and all those guys that, to me – might as well have been major league players at the time. And so you start to force yourself to go back to and look at some of the other players. The thing we've decided to do with this podcast, of course, is carry it all season long. This is not just a draft of this first two weeks. And we decided to break the draft up in two weeks because 12 rounds tonight and then 13 next week, we've got a chance to kind of get our feet up under us and realize who we didn't uh, select here tonight. And, you know, that bias you talk about, Charlie, is – probably going to play into some of my draft picks tonight. But during the season, we're going to get together Tuesday, Wednesday night each week, and we're going to talk about Bulldog baseball, what happened the previous weekend, what's going to come up in the the, uh, the following weekend. And then we'll also take a segment to take a look back at uh, some of these great baseball teams gone by. And that's, uh, that's one of the great things about what we get to do you know, each and every night during the spring and talk about baseball is we kind of get to talk about some of these guys that we grew up wanting to watch, you know, Paul Petrulis and, you know, David Heyman and just so many guys that, 
that uh, you know we haven't talked a whole lot about in years past. And so tonight we're going to start it with a draft, and we're going to lay out the rules to the draft. Charlie came up with this idea, and to be honest with you, Charlie, when I started looking about how we were going to do this, it's a lot harder than you think. It, it really is. The idea was this. We were sitting calling a game last year, and we got to talking about the all-time great Mississippi State team. And what happens every time we do that? Clark, Palmero, Brantley, Thigpen, and you know DeBose and Mitch Moreland and those guys. And what it occurs to you is we miss a lot of time talking about guys like a Tommy Raffo. We miss talking about so many of those guys, a Thomas Burkery, who meant so much to this program. And so the idea originally was let's put together a team, the all-time greatest MSU team, but we ignore anybody who played in the major leagues. And then the more I got to thinking about it, I thought, you know, we live in this world where everybody has fantasy drafts and does all that, so what could be more exciting that instead of just going around position by position, let's put some sport into it. Let's pick our own teams. And they, the idea is that we would have two teams. I'll pick a team, Team Winfield versus Team Gregory, and they'll play in a mythical seven-game series. Here, here, right? At here this, at Duty Noble Field. The Duty Noble right now, not the Duty Noble 10 years ago. That's right. Okay, because right. it's a different ballpark now. You know, it is a very different ballpark, and that will have to be taken into consideration. But this, So it's a seven-game series, and we play it with the idea of two days on, one day off, three days on, two days off. Okay, like a Major League World Series. Very similar. Okay, so the thing that I want to take from this, and I've already talked to, to several players that, that played in the glory years of Paul Gregory back in the 1960s, and he had a great success here, is, hey, I hear you guys, when you're picking this, these teams, you're starting like 1975, 1976. Well, to be honest with you, yes, we, did, we do know baseball happened at Mississippi State before Ron Polk came here, uh, but Charlie has a little bit more of a memory of the late 70s, early 80s, I go into early 80s, late 80s, and so the last thing we want to do is do a disservice to that group of players that played in the 1960s and be talking about someone who played, and we didn't have a chance to see them at all. Now, the thing we will do during the season on our show is we will bring some of those guys in. We're going to talk to, to some of those guys that were great on those teams of the 1960s. I mean, Paul Gregory's teams won the SEC championships with 65, 66. They went to the College World Series in 1971 and 1974. And so we're going to have several of those players on to talk about what it was like to play baseball at the old duty noble field over by Dorman Hall right now in the center of the Mississippi State campus. And so that's one of the things you had to look to as well. Also, if you're currently in the minor leagues, you can't be drafted because our thoughts are all those guys are going to make it. That's that's what we want to that's what we want to happen. And so that's the premise of what we're doing. Twelve rounds tonight. And Charlie last week we um we decided he won a wasn't a toss of a coin, was it? Went it went odd even. Yeah, it went odd even. And Charlie won it. So Charlie gets to pick first tonight. And so I've got an idea of what he's gonna do. We're gonna take a quick break and come back. We'll uh kind of get everything together about how we want to do this draft, talk about some of our great sponsors. But first, a break. You're listening to the Out of Left Field Podcast, presented by Farm Bureau.
Back in Starkville for the Adam Leftfield Podcast, Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. It's time now for the 2020 Bart and Charlie Out of Leftfield Podcast draft. And, uh, Charlie, the thing that stands out to me is when you look at these players, this is you know my top 12, your top 12 tonight. These are not who we think are the top 25 players in the history of Mississippi State baseball. We're trying to put together a team, pitching, fielding, guys that I think that can compete against you, guys that I know that are going to compete against you. And so you have the first pick of the draft. And so uh, anyway, what uh, are you ready to go or are you ready to? Yeah, so I've been having plenty of time to negotiate. We've had time to talk and think it over, look at our first pick. And with that, <laughs> I like that. The pick is in. I've always wanted to be the commissioner of the league and be the guy that got to stand at the podium. This is kind of my moment right now. Where'd you get this? Oh. Just, we're going to have a draft. We've got to make it draftish. Okay. Bart and Charlie draft. Team Winfield takes Kenny Kurtz, left-handed pitcher, 1979. Really? I, that completely, and the reason you did that, is because you knew that would throw me the biggest curveball. Speaking of Kenny Kurtz, that would throw me the biggest curveball because I thought there was no way. I thought it was another left-handed pitcher you were going to take. So that changes my complete thought about everything we're about to do. Well, here's here was my thinking, and I want to go back to something you said earlier, and that is we are playing this game at the current Duty Noble Field. And what do we know about the current Duty Noble Field? The ball will get out. And Kenny Kurtz, he pitched one year at Mississippi State. And, look, that one year was very important for the history of Mississippi State baseball. That's a year that you went to the College World Series. It is a year that you won the Southeastern Conference Championship. Kenny Kurtz won the triple crown in the SEC that year for pitchers, which is to say he had the most wins, 12. He had the lowest ERA at 2.09. And he led the league with 100 strikeouts. By the way, in SEC play, he was 8-0. But here's the stat, because I know you're going to go hitter heavy before we're done. Here's the stat that you're going to have to take home with you. Okay. Kenny Kurtz allowed one home run in over 100 innings pitched. Kenny Kurtz is my guy. And while we're on that, go ahead. How do you know that? How do you know in 1979 the prevailing win a majority of the games didn't come out of the north and made this a – complete pitcher's ballpark. How do you know that? I don't care if there was an Arctic <laughs> blast moving in every day. You pitch 100 innings and give up only one home run, you've done something. But the real mem- memory of Kenny Kurtz was he opened the College World Series in a ball game against Cal State Fullerton, who came in. They were kind of known as the team who had all the big bashers, the big hitters, and Kenny Kurtz went up to Omaha got a 6-1 to one complete game win, and all these scouts who came out to watch Fullerton had to watch Kenny Kurtz just take it apart, and all of a sudden Kenny Kurtz becomes a first-team All-American. I need a lefty. I need a guy who is going to keep it in the ballpark, and that's why my first pick was 1979's Kenny Kurtz. Okay, well, that changes everything, as they say, because I had it in my mind you were, uh, were going to go with who I'm going to pick. And so that changes uh, how I want to attack this because I've had in my mind I was going to take a right-handed pitcher. But, um, huh, okay. I'm going to go ahead and make my pick for the first round. 
with my pick of the first round, the second overall pick, I'm going to go with a left-hander, 6'3", left-hander from Monroeville, Alabama, B.J. Wallace, because I thought that was who you were going to take as a first round. Okay, B.J. Wallace, third overall pick in 1992. Three spots ahead of Derek Jeter, by the way. Absolutely. 145 strikeouts in 1992. That was third in uh, third in K's in a season. Of course, um, this past year, Mississippi State, yeah, well, that was just completely, completely shattered. And led the SEC in strikeouts this year. that year. He was an All-American. And, of course, the thing I remember about B.J. Wallace is that NCAA tournament back in 1992 when uh, we played Nichols. He went 10 innings. Oh, he boy. struck out 19 batters. He struck out 19 in a one nothing win. And so my first pick, the guy that I thought you were going to take, and I know it's going to completely mess me up the rest of this draft because I'm going to go with B.J. Wallace, the 6'3 left-hander from Monroeville, Alabama. So you've got – Kenny Kurtz, I'm going B.J. Wallace, and those are our first-round picks, a couple of left-handers. Well, my organizational philosophy is all about pitching and defense, and I don't need my time on the clock for my next pick. (laughs) Because we're playing this ball game at Duty Noble Field, and the best pitcher all time at Duty Noble Field. With my second pick in the 2020 draft, Bobby Bobby Reed, Reed, right-handed pitcher, Long Beach, Mississippi, 1988 to 1990. Bobby Reed never lost a game at Duty Noble Field. He is 35-7 all-time. Only Brantley has more career wins. Only Brantley has more single-season wins. This is a guy, big 6'5 guy, downhill thrower. It wasn't that he overpowered guys. He just threw strikes all day long, let guys play defense behind him. And Bobby Reed. So I go with a guy starting off in Kenny Kurtz who allowed one home run. We're going to keep it in the ballpark. And then I go with Bobby Reed, second, a guy who never lost at Duty Noble Field. I'm feeling pretty good about day one and day two in this series. Well, he was my guy. He, he was the guy I was going to go with with number one because I thought, of course, you were going to be Jay Wallace. And so everything I had done has, has been predicated on Bobby Reed being my starting pitcher. Because that was a guy in 89, if you had to have a win, you got a win, a win from Bobby Reed. Then, of course, in 1990, you know, the Callis and the college, going to the College World Series, what he did out here at Duty Noble in that NCAA tournament against uh, Florida State on that Monday is yeah, – and, and let's pause. Let's go ahead and, and take a diversion here because the the history of the season, as you might want to glance at that, the history of Mississippi State baseball – as it is remembered by most people, is that Burke Masters hit a grand slam that sent Mississippi State to the College World Series. And, in fact, that is not exactly the case. Mississippi State had to play Florida State three times in the regional. They won the first game after Burke Masters hit a grand slam. It wasn't a walk-off. They had to come back and defend. But then Mississippi State turned around in a winner's bracket game, lost to Florida State, or I suppose Mississippi State was in the winner's bracket, Florida State was not. But that set up that Monday game. Bobby Reed came out through a complete game. Bulldogs won it 4-3, and here's my memory. Eddie Perez, Eduardo Perez. Eduardo. For those of you who just love ESPN's broadcast of the College World Series, you'll remember our friend Eduardo. 
But so Mississippi State had taken a 4-3 lead into the bottom of the eighth. Bobby Reed goes back to the mound. Florida State has two guys on and one out. And Perez hit a missile, an absolute missile that Bobby Reed in self-defense nearly knocked him over. But he was able to make the catch, double off Rob Vargas at first base, and that ended the eighth. And Mississippi State went on to go to the College World Series. All right, so that completely messes me up in every way because I was going to go Bobby Reed and then with Kenny Kurtz in the second round. And so you you knew exactly what I was going to do, and so you flipped the script on me. All right, uh, to heck with this. I'm going to go with a hitter. Um, I didn't say I was ready yet. It just makes it so much more official. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with a hitter. And here, here we go. I want to. I'm pressing the button. My top hitter, and this is going to be a surprise for you, probably, because you hit me with a Kenny Kurtz. I'm going to hit hit you with one in the same era. Okay. Mm, don't do it. 1980, 1981. 1980, 1981. 6-1 right fielder from Omaha, Nebraska. I'm going Mark Gillespie in right field. Mark Gillespie, first team All-American in 1981, led the SEC in hitting in 81. He hit 410. But here's the thing about that season. This guy hit for average at 410, but he hit 20 home runs. 20 home runs. And you look at that 79 team which was completely stacked. You had so many guys on that 79 team. But then in 81, that's almost like the forgotten team. You had you, know, you had Gillespie, who was that table setter at the top of the order. He lives in Omaha, Nebraska now. He's from Omaha. He lives in Omaha now as a uh, police officer there. I saw him several times the past few times we went up there. His son was actually a first-round draft pick. You know, But uh, uh, Mark Gillespie was drafted in the 11th round Played here at Mississippi State. He was a transfer. Played here for two years. And so he is my number two pick, now number four overall pick. And so my second-round guy is the right fielder, Mark Gillespie. Yeah, boy, that's a pick that hurts because I think Mark Gillespie, in fact, what is the way that we measure hitters now so often is what OPS, right? Right. On base plus slugging percentage. And we think back a few years ago to that year that Rooker had as being one of the all-time great years. Mark Gillespie's numbers are right there with the season that Rooker put up. He was an absolutely phenomenal hitter, and that's a good call. But one thing about Team Winfield, we're going to stay true to our draft board, and we've done that so far. Okay. You went and added a hitter. We don't feel the need to go chase you necessarily. All right. Because here's what I remember. I should first give you the pick. With my first pick in the third round, the fifth pick overall, Team Winfield selects Gene Morgan, <laughs> right-handed pitcher out of Columbus, Georgia, 1984 to 1985. Okay, I can do that. Last guy to ever throw a no-hitter. It was a seven-inning no-hitter out in Hawaii. It was a Just Hawaii, Hawaii Hilo. Hilo. Yeah, back in 1985. And, of course, you, know, you can't think about uh, Gene Morgan without thinking about the obvious that his dad wrote a song. <laughs> yes, I'm proud to be a Bulldog from, from good, old, good old MSU. Yes, they used to play that over the speakers. We've got to get that. Yes, absolutely. We've got to get that song. That would be a great intro. But obviously, what do we think about Gene Morgan? Line drive. Everybody will say that the line drive off the leg of Gene Morgan deprived Mississippi State of a win in the College World Series. But tonight we're going to remember, remember Gene Morgan for something else, and that is this. He had a 20-6 and six career record. 
and the guy kept the ball down. He was a sinker ball guy. And when we went to the World Series in 1985, we actually opened that tournament with Gene Morgan on the mound. We were facing Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, by the way, they had like six, seven major leaguers. Pete Incavillia? They had Pete Incavillia, who had something like 48 home runs. And we went with Gene Morgan. And my memory of that game, kind of the sitting in the stands, my lasting memory, is Pete Incavillia's back knee staying in the dirt all day long (laughs) trying to get down and hit that sinker ball from Morgan. He couldn't do it. I think Bulldogs went on and won that game something like 14-3. to It was a big, big win. So, again, I go back to the idea that we're playing at the current Duty Noble. I got to keep it in the yard. I'm going with the sinker ball pitcher, Gene Morgan. Well, I'll tell you what. That's uh, so. That's your fifth overall pick, first pick of the third round. All right, I'm trying to think if I should go with a pitcher right here. And let me do a quick reset here for okay. everybody. All right, I had the opening pick and went with Kenny Kurtz. You matched that pick with B.J. Wallace. I came back with Bobby Reed. You then went with Mark Gillespie, the outfielder, first position player taken in the draft. Yeah. I went back to pitching with the right-hander Gene Morgan, and now it is back to you in the third round. Well, you may can pitch it, but I'm going to be able to hit it. And I am—I picked an outfielder. I think I'm going to go with an infielder now. And uh, my third round, with the sixth overall pick and the second pick of the third round, <laughs> I'm going to go with a 6'3 first baseman slash pitcher. He did pitch every now and then from Orange Park, Flor- Orange Park, Florida, number 22, Tommy Raffo. Yeah, Raffo hit 22 home runs in 89, led the team in hitting in 89 and 90, could pitch, went eighth round in 1990. But the thing about Tommy Raffo, I mean, he was just kind of that cornerstone at first base, and had it not been for a guy over at Auburn named Frank Thomas, he would have probably won the, a triple crown or two. He was that good of a hitter in the SEC. And I look at this ballpark now and how it plays. I thought about the Mark Gillespie, the guy that's a table setter that can get you on base, but he hit 20 home runs. But also Tommy Raffo, man, that guy could forevermore hit. And he had some big hits in our history. Sometimes we forget about those big hits he had against Florida State. One of them is that same game. We were talking about Bobby Reed a moment ago, that 4-3 win. I think it was in the top of the eighth inning. With two men on, Raffo doubled off the top of the wall in right field. And if that ball's got two more feet of carry, all of a sudden we may be talking about the Raffo home run in the same vein that we do the the Masters Grand Slam. But you go back and look, one of the things that was interesting about Raffo, he threw left, hit right. Yep. Which was, I think, a little bit of an unfair disadvantage to him as a hitter in terms of scoutability. But in terms of performance... Uh, it's tough to find a guy who was better. You you mentioned the kind of the near miss for Raffo, but for Frank Thomas, he wins the triple crown. Interesting note about Gene Morgan, who I took in this round. Jeff Brantley wins the triple crown of pitching that year, if not for Gene Morgan, one one-hundredth of a point in ERA. So a couple of guys there taken in the third round who uh, played heavily into the triple crown races at their respective spots. All right, so... I go Tommy Raffo, so we're through three rounds. What do you say? What do you, what you got in the fourth? All right, so I've gone three straight pitchers. You took a pitcher and then have gone outfield and first base slash pitcher. 
I feel like I need to start thinking about hitters, but I'm not going to because now and then you're just going to put a guy on your team that you want to have on your team. And with that said, in the fourth round of the 2020 draft team, Winfield selects John Harden, left-handed pitcher, <laughs> Starkville, Mississippi, 1989 to 1992. John, okay. John Harden. John so, Harden. So we've talked about pitchers all the time being overpowering, having the big arm, the fastballs, and particularly these left-handers. Here's the thing about John Harden. If he threw at 80, he was gassing it up. You know, the legend was, I can't verify this, but the legend of John Harden was that he threw a change-up to Lyle Mouton in the Superdome that went 54 miles an hour. Here's what I do know about John Harden. Two of his four seasons, he led the league in ERA. He's a guy you can take velocity, throw it out the window. Here's the other beautiful thing about Harden. So, in addition to being a first-team All-SEC guy, he's been a closer but even in the year he was a closer in the SEC tournament in 90, I believe it was, he was the MVP, went seven innings against Florida. But see, he transitioned. So he went from kind of being a closer guy to the last two years he's here, Jay Powell comes in. So imagine going the seventh and the eighth inning against a guy who's throwing about 60 and then having a fireballer like Jay Powell come in. Harden, it was a – he's one of the all-time great Bulldogs, and he's one of those guys who was a little bit of a character, did it his way. Okay, so repeat your guys back. Okay. All right. So, so far I've taken. You've got pitchers. That's it, right? Oh yeah. We're we're this team is about pitching Goodness, and defense. It's a man. core philosophy. We got Kenny Kurtz, the left-handed pitcher. Bobby Reed, the right-handed pitcher. So we went from the late '70s to the late '80s, back to the mid '80s with Gene Morgan. Then I'm going to go early '90s. With so my relief pitcher, I got three starters and a reliever in John Harden. You know, you can only use one of those guys at a time. Well, here's the good news for me: I, I realize we're setting up for a seven-game series. I know. I'm not going to need many more guys because look at Harden. <laughs> you know, this guy threw 108 innings out of the bullpen. I mean, this is a guy who who can stand out there all afternoon and throw the baseball. But here's the thing: Tommy Raffo played on those teams with John Harden, and so Tommy Raffo. Knows the he knows the release point. Some I'm I'm counting on Tommy to come up deep in those games. All right, so I'm not above hitting a guy with a pitch and just giving him the free base. Okay, all right. So here's what I'm going to do. I guess I got to go with a pitcher. I'm going to go with a pitcher. I'm going to stay left-handed power pitcher. Okay, and one of the things we didn't talk about was the eras. When you start looking at stats. Nothing is apples to apples. When you when you start talking about eras of baseball, back in the you know, in the in the nineties you had just the power bats. And so a guy that may have a high ERA just because of the how hot the bats were. And then you look at how they completely deadened the baseball or deadened the bats right after that. And so, you know, a, a guy like a Ross Mitchell who had great stats and then you compare him to a guy I'm about to go right now. The ERAs don't look the same, but it, I look at strikeouts and the ability just to get big outs, and that's why in the fourth round, the eighth overall pick, I'm going with a 6'4 left-handed pitcher from Meridian, Mississippi, Collinsville, Mississippi, Jeremy Jackson. And here's why. Jeremy Jackson, nine wins in 1997, tied with DeBose in 97, had ten wins in 98, went 10th round in 1998, Jeremy Jackson was that guy, was kind of that cornerstone on those two teams. Now, I've got another guy who you know, I've kind of got my eye on in that genre. 
Of course, you couldn't draft DeBose because, of course, he played in the big leagues, and we're not drafting anyone that played in the big leagues. But I look at 1998 and 1999 and what Jeremy Jackson was doing in getting back-to-back teams to the College Pro Series. He went 10-3 and in 1998 as the Friday night horse. I mean, he was the guy on Friday nights in a tough SEC season that year and um, came up with some big wins for us. And so I'm going to go, Jer- go Jeremy Jackson with my – eighth overall pick in the fourth round. I want to amplify one point that you make, and that has to do with the different eras and the bats and the ERA. There are times you can go back and look at even with some really good Mississippi State teams where the best ERA on the team was in the fours. And then there are other yeah. years you go back and you've got a, a lot of guys who are under you know three and a half. And so I think you make a really good point that it's really difficult to compare stats over years. You've really got to dig into it because we've got some different generation where the balls have changed, the bats have changed, the stadium has changed. Absolutely. I mean, in that year he won 10 games. He had a four-point, over a four-point earned average. But, I mean, he started in 17 games. He won 10 games in those 17 starts. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to uh, go Jeremy Jackson just because, like I said, we're, not, you know, we're, we're picking guys that I think in a seven-game series that can go deep in games, I think uh, – I think B.J. Wallace and following him up with another left-hander and Jeremy Jackson, that's that's probably what I want to do. Okay. Well, I okay. feel like I've got a pretty good list of pitchers going now. See you trying to answer. I'm finally going to go ahead and, and break down and take a position player. I've got to do it at some point. And if you've got to take a guy, I think you want a guy that can get on base. You want somebody who can hit. And so with the first pick in the fifth round, I am drafting Nat Buck Showalter. Oh. Left fielder. He played one year, 1977, but he led the league as the highest batting average in MSU history with 459. His own base percentage was well over 600. He was an All-American, a fifth-round pick, and here's what I like. I need toughness. I need discipline. And I need a team leader. I need a grinder uh, out there. But I'll tell you what. Here's, so last week when I asked the rules and I said, hey, can I pick Pete Young? And I want to pick Pete Young as a third baseman. And you said, no, if he's ever sat in a major league dugout with a uniform on, then he's out. Buck Showalter has sat in plenty of dugouts with a jersey on. But he's never worn the cleats. <laughs> he's, more, he's been more of a turf shoe guy. Okay. Uh, okay. So he look. Pete Rose would have been disqualified because he was a player coach, right? Buck Showalter was simply a major league manager. I am, as the founder of this draft, and calling him eligible, and I'm going to put the All American out in left field. And it occurs to me, by the way, that I've now selected two guys: Kurtz from '79, Showalter from '77, who played only one season at Mississippi State, but had profound impacts on the program anyway. All right, so uh, that was your first hitter. I need to start getting some more pitching. So I've got the starting pitcher with the B.J. Wallace. I've got a starting left-hander in Jeremy Jackson, a couple of guys that play in the field, Mark Gillespie, Tommy Raffo. Um, you've already picked your closer, haven't you? Yeah, you went uh, John Harden. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And we talk about stats. It's kind of on my mind right now because I just said it. I'm going to go with Ross Mitchell. 
I'm going to go with Rossi. And here's the reason why. Ross is a bridge guy. If I get in trouble, if anybody comes out and throws two innings and has a tough time, I've got Rossi, Ross Mitchell. Okay, here we go. Second pick of the fifth round, we're going to go Ross Mitchell, 6'1", left-hander from Smyrna, Tennessee. This cat in, ninth, in, in 2012, okay, 2012, Ross in 24 outings had a 1.18 earned run average, okay? Then in 13, he was 13-0 and with a 1.53 earned run average. And then he went to a starting role in 2014. He pitched a lot of games in relief early, then pitched him over at Georgia. And I remember that the, the scouting report that day of, hey, we're going to start Ross because we'd gotten beat on Friday. And everybody was like, what are, what are we doing? And then the guy just responds. I think he goes like seven or eight innings, gives up one one run on like two hits or something like that. And so, anyway, won eight games in that year in 2014. And so a guy that can get you from the fourth inning to the seventh inning if something goes awry. And so my pick is Ross Mitchell. If something goes awry, if something went right in 2013, he was trotting out in about the middle of the second. <laughs> they didn't go very long with the starters back then. So, no, i give you that. Ross Mitchell, a guy who can – who can eat some innings for you. I think he kind of matches my Harden a little bit. Okay, I could do that. Okay, yeah, absolutely. I don't think he's my closer. I don't think he's my at, at all. So, But he's my he's my bridge. All right, so we're on to now the sixth round. Yep. Well, I've gone – I've got a lot of pitching. I just need to start rounding out. And I, I said one of our core philosophies was going to be that we have to defend. And what's the old adage – a team that is strong up the middle wins ball games. With the first pick in the sixth round, I select Mike Kelly, oh. center fielder, 1976-1979 from Des Plaines, Illinois. You know what was said about Mike Kelly? I thought it was interesting. Our friend Jan Gwynn said this, introducing him as as one of the newly elected members of Mississippi State University Sports Hall of Fame, the M Club Hall of Fame that Mike Kelly was Jake Mangum before there was a Jake Mangum. <laughs> he was the late 70s version of Jake Mangum. And, and you look at the, the comparisons. Uh, both of them were four-year players. Both of them were center fielders. Mike Kelly hit 400 in 1979. He was a first-team All-American. He could steal bases. He was the MVP of the tournament. And Mike Kelly, we, you know, we don't think about Mangum and home runs. We think about Mangum and extra base hits. Mike Kelly, the career leader at Mississippi State in triples and stolen bases. I'm going to be able to run it down, and I'm going to be able to get some guys on base at the top of the order. Mike Kelly, my pick in the sixth. All right, I'm flipping the script because you're finally getting some guys can hit, finally getting some guys can hit. And I see I've got uh, two starting pitchers, one relief pitcher. I need another. I need another starting pitcher. And I'm checking my list, and I've got the guy that's going to be your kryptonite right here. Sixth round. Second pick of the sixth round, I'm going to go with a 6-2 right-hander from Huntsville, Alabama, Don Mundy. Mm. Pitched at State 79-81. to Man, unreal. He was the guy that was the compliment to Kenny Kurtz. In 79, he went 10-1. and Those guys went 17-1 and in the regular season. 17-1 combined in the regular seasons. Monday went 10-1 in 79, 
tied for the team leading wins in 1980. And then in 1981, that College World Series team that you had, Gillespie and all those guys, Monday won 14 games. He went 14-5. and five. And so strength on the right side, I've got a couple of starting left-handers, but I'm going to go with Don Mundy as my sixth pick, the 12th overall pick in the, our draft. Well, I think that gets us to the halfway point. Halfway point, all right. We'll uh, we'll step away. We'll step away. Get us a drink of Diet Coke. Get our thoughts together. How I'm going to tear you down in the next few rounds. You better be thinking. Thinking hard. <laughs> 